0: Good morning. Good morning. I like hugging. There's lots of it going on. It's a good sign. Shows that there's love, which is kind of appropriate because we're in a series on... Love. Right. Yeah, if you've been with us for the last month or so, you know that we've been going through a sermon series on love. And in that series, we've talked a lot about uh, different kinds of love. Each week, almost, there's a Uh, discussion on a different kind of love and we've especially in the last couple of weeks I think uh, talked a lot about romantic love what uh, the Bible calls eros love we get the word erotic from it and that's a great kind of love but today I want to shift the focus a bit and talk about the love of God it is a love beyond compare it's a different kind of love okay the love of God is beyond compare it's it's different different from the romantic love that we're so used to in popular culture and in our personal relationships. So we're going to focus on that. And, you know, when we talk about God's love, the first thing we need to recognize is that love isn't just an aspect of God's personality. It's not like love is one component of his personality amongst other components. What the Bible tells us about love is that God is love. He is love. In His very nature, He is love. Uh, everything God does is loving because God, in His very nature, is love. He cannot help but to love. There's nothing that He does that is not loving. And, and that's, it's important to get our heads wrapped around that concept because it's a different way of thinking about love. We tend to think of love as decisions or, you know, again, an outgrowth of a particular part of a personality. But God's love is unique in that everything he does is love. And there's a special word for the type of love that God represents. It's a divine love called agape love. Can you say agape? Agape. Yeah, not agape. Agape. It's a divine love and looks very different from the kinds of love that we're used to. Um, and familiar with it's it's almost, if you will, an alien kind of love. It's an alien love. And it feels different. And, and let's look at a couple of you know just differences between uh, the love that the world understands and agape love. The world's love is for the most part based on emotion. Um, I feel loving. I feel like loving, so I am loving. But God's love is not based on emotion. It's a choice. It's it's an intentional decision. It's an intentional choice to love. God loves us even when there is nothing lovable about us. It's very good news because I'm not very lovable. (laughs) Or there are many things about me that I think God would find unlovable. And yet he does love me. And he loves all of you as well. Uh, Regardless of your condition, your station in life, what you've done in the past, doesn't matter. You don't need to earn God's love. In fact, you can't. God loves you because He chooses to. Okay, it's not be- because He feels warm and fuzzy feelings towards you. Worldly love is also self-serving. It's focused on the self, uh, and a lot of times we think that we're acting out of love, but really, uh, really, what we're doing is uh, we're acting out of selfish motives. Um, we might do nice things for someone because we feel kind towards them. We feel uh, you know, we feel uh, an affinity for them. Or it might be that we feel guilt. We act loving out of guilt. You know, we're nice because we're, we're out of guilt. Or those warm, fuzzy feelings. But God's love is selfless. It's completely focused on the other other persons, other, other people. Right? It's, it's not self-centered at all. And then worldly love is fickle. Um, and what I mean by that is that The definition of love, according to the world, can shift over time, depending on what seems right at the moment. Uh, But God's love is different because it's based on his righteousness, which never changes. His character is steadfast. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his love is based on his character. Um, He never changes, and the good news about that is that God is unfailing in his love. He doesn't relent in pursuing us with love. He He never gives up loving on us. And, um, and these are some of the ways that God's love is different. It's alien. It's, it may seem so foreign to us that frankly sometimes we need to search it out. We need to look for it. Um, in order to appreciate the fullness of God's love, this different love, uh, you can miss out on it if you're not looking. If you're not paying attention and you don't know what to look for, you may mistake something as Cruel, um, something that God does as cruel or unloving, when in fact it is loving, because again, God acts out of His out of His loving nature. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in the Song of Solomon that says, "We will praise Your love more than wine." How many of you like wine? Yeah, How, you're good. Okay. Well, you know, I'll, I'll I'll confess that I am I'm a social drinker. Um, I'm the kind of guy who will go up to a bar and say. I will try your red or give me your white. Um, I, I'll have a glass of that. I'll point to that. You know, I'll have a glass of your mulat. <laughs> I'm, I'm a wine drinker at best, I am not a wine aficionado. And there's a difference. Okay? Drinkers are limited in their ability to describe the wine or uh, the qualities of the wine, they can tell you that the wine is red or white, like me. I can, I can go that far. Uh, they can tell you maybe that it's, it's fruity or dry. Um, and then when all else fails, they can tell you whether it tastes good or bad. But aficionados, on the other hand, have a much richer vocabulary, don't they? Um, they can describe the wine's appearance for you. They can tell you the nose of the wine, whatever that is. Uh, they can tell you the aroma or the bouquet, they they can tell you the varietal of grape that this wine comes from, and maybe even pinpoint uh, the vineyard that the wine comes from. Um, They they can detect subtleties in the qualities of the wine, whether it be hints of a certain fruit uh, or the fullness of the body. And they are aficionados because they are sensitive to the qualities of the wine. And I think similarly, we should be aficionados of God's love, of the qualities of God's love, not just simple drinkers of God's love. Okay, we should develop our palates so that we're sensitive to the subtleties of God's agape and divine love. Uh, but let me give you another do- example. Um, the Summer Olympics in Rio are coming up in August, right? How many of you are excited about that? Right? Yeah, the Olympics are a great, great to watch because it's it's seeing. The finest athletes in their in the world, in top form, and, and they're so they're they're great to watch because these guys and gals are masters at their sports, right? They they're the ones um, who have put in the sweat and the tears, you know, to become who they are, competing at that level. And what that means for for each of these athletes is that they know the subtleties of their sport. You know, the, the Olympic track and field star knows that oops, um, knows that a slight adjustment in his running posture can shave milliseconds off the finish time, which could mean the difference between a silver or gold medal, right? Uh, the Olympic swimmer knows how her gear can affect her drag in the water, which again affects her performance in a race, right? They, they know the tiny little nuances the differences that make uh, the, the distinctives in their sport that make a difference in how they perform and i think again similarly we should work at becoming masters of ministering god's agape love okay we shouldn't just be amateurs but we should work at becoming at performing at that level uh, knowing that's the subtleties of god's love and how to minister it and it takes work to do that it takes work to be to be good at identifying the subtleties of God's love. Just like it takes a lot of dedication and effort to become a wine master, an aficionado, uh, or a a master athlete. It takes sacrifice. It takes discipline. It takes work. And today, what I want to do is to take a look at one context, one one training ground, if you will, um, that helps us to become more sensitive to God's agape love. Uh, And that's in the way we deal with suffering. It's, it's a thorny topic. It's an uncomfortable topic. But if we look at it the right way, um, it's an incredible, suffering is an incredible opportunity to develop a deeper understanding of God's love. That's what it is. If we look at it for what it is, it's really an opportunity to develop sensitivity uh, uh, for God's love and to become a master at it. And what I find is that those who are good at appreciating God's agape love uh, tend to be the ones who are experienced in suffering. They've gone through a lot in their lives. They've gone through a lot of suffering. And um, to the world, that might seem a little weird because, you know, it would, wouldn't it actually make sense that, that this would, suffering would drive you away from God? But, but if you think about it, it makes sense that there's a connection between suffering and sensitivity to God's agape love because if agape love is really that different, if it's that distinctive, then you would expect to find it in places um, or the, you would find it in places that you wouldn't expect to, uh, love to exist, right? It's that special. You, you, would ex- you would see that God's love shines brightest in dark places where, where worldly love does not reach. Um, so, and suffering is a great example of that, okay? Suffering is not a place I would run to to find love. But God's love is there. Uh, we might expect suffering to actually produce more doubt in God and His goodness, wouldn't we? Um, but actually suffering can produce, uh, can help you ap- appreciate God's love even greater. But, there, but you need to look at suffering the right, right way. You need to know how to deal with suffering in the right way. Uh, our attitude towards suffering is key. Okay? It's critical to learning more about God's love. And Paul tells us this is the attitude we should have in in suffering. He says in Romans 5, and this is in your bulletins, he says that you should rejoice in suffering. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, he says rejoice in your suffering. And that's a radical approach to suffering. It's radical because people tend to avoid suffering if they can. If it's if it's needless suffering, if I don't need to go through it, I would rather not suffer. That's, that's a typical I mean, response to suffering. We make decisions that minimize suffering, don't we? The reality, though, is that suffering is inevitable. You know, just look at the news. I don't need to convince you of this. Turn on the news, look at your inter- news, uh, internet newsfeed, and you will see an abundance of suffering everywhere you turn. People killing each other. You know, people in in poverty, injustice, the injustices that we've prayed about this morning. It's everywhere. It's unavoidable, right? And and it's unavoidable partly because God has given us free will. As part of His loving nature, He doesn't want robots. You know, He could have made just an army of mindless worshipers heaping praise on Him 24-7, but instead He gives us free will. We can choose to love Him or not. And the way we exercise our free will uh, can affect ourselves as well as others. It can cause suffering for us and others. Okay? We, we tend to, because of our broken, sinful nature, we tend to make choices that hurt us and hurt those around us. So suffering's un- unavoidable. So, but Romans 5 tells us, look, suffering will happen, but don't run away from it. Okay? Instead, face it upright, face it head on, face it with the right attitude. Rejoice. What does that mean? What does it mean to rejoice in suffering? I I don't think Paul is saying, go look for trouble. I'm not saying, uh, I don't think Paul is saying that we should be masochists here. (laughs) We're not looking to suffer. It will come. It's inevitable. It will come. But when it comes, embrace it as an opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of God's love. And that happens because suffering—what suffering does is that it shakes our world. You now, I, I was just talking to my wife this morning uh, about what do you—what do you—what would you call suffering? What, what, how would you define suffering? And I actually didn't look up the definition of suffering in the, in the dictionary. Uh, but as we thought about it, I think what we realized is that, you know, not every adversity is suffering. Like someone cutting you off on the freeway on H1 is not suffering. You may be angry, but that's not really suffering. I think what suffering, what, what makes it suffering is that in some way, it affects your identity. Okay, it, it, it nags and, and reaches into who you are and disturbs that. It shakes it a bit. And, and the, more, the, the more intense the suffering, the greater the earthquake, right? The, the more it shakes up your world. Um, we talk a lot of times about trials and tribulations. Those two teams seem to kind of go hand in hand, right? You've heard, you've heard that phrase. Well, the word tribulation comes from the Roman word, tribulum. A tribulum is actually a Roman tool um, that's used for threshing wheat. It's a, it's a board that has iron teeth or bone that's attached to it. It's often, uh, it's often put on a beast of burden. Um, and pl- almost like plowing through the wheat, and it, it separates the, the chaff from the wheat. Okay? That's a tri- That's tribulum. That's tribulation. What tribulation does is that it gets at your soul and it tears it apart. Right? But that can be good, because it can separate out the good stuff from the bad stuff. Your identity can reshape your identity. Um, suffering challenges our worldview. It makes us rethink what's important in life, our priorities and our values, The things that we thought matter may not seem important anymore when suffering strikes. How we thought the world works might not make sense anymore in the midst of suffering, But it's in these times of turmoil that God has an opportunity to reshape us and make us more like him. To align our hearts that are broken and reshape it and make it whole. To draw ourselves closer to him. And according to Romans 5, here's how it works. If we go back to that verse, uh, Romans 5, 3 to 5, the first thing suffering does is that it produces endurance. The Greek word for endurance is hypomene. What it refers to is steadfastness, constancy. Endurance is sticking with it. It's deliberately acting out of faith. Um, When suffering hits, you can let it crush you. That's one response. I'm just buried under by the earthquake, and I'm done. Or you can hold on and wait to see how God uses that suffering to transform you. And if you hold on, that's endurance. Uh, The saying goes, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? But for that to be true, you have to be intentional about surviving. Because if you're dead, then you're dead. It did kill you. (laughs) You didn't get stronger. You have to be intentional about holding on. and, And what that means is to continue engaging with God. Not to cut him off, not to disengage or to reject him, but to continue the conversation with God. Now the conversation may be very unpleasant. It may be very, you may be very angry in the conversation. But it's still a conversation. You're still connected. And that takes faith, okay? Endurance takes faith. You're exercising the faith that you have. It can be small amounts of faith. It doesn't have to be very large, but whatever faith you have, you're reaching down and you're leveraging it. You're remembering what you know about God, his character and his goodness. You're reaching in and you're using that to keep in the game. That's endurance. Not giving up even when the pain tells you to let go of him and reject him. Amen. That's endurance. Okay? So that's number one. Suffering, when you have the right attitude, produces endurance. But secondly, if we endure, what that produces then is character. And uh, the Greek for that is dakame, which is translated, very interestingly, as proof. That's the word for proof, like if I have, it's evidence. If I go to trial in in the court of law, I produce evidence. That's that's the same kind of meaning, dakame. It's it's also translated as a specimen of tried worth. This this one's good because it's it's been tested. Um, A person of character is someone who's held up to testing. Um, The resolve's been challenged and it has not wavered. They're sticking through it. So if we endure through suffering, our character strengthens. Your faith increases. It gets stronger because you, you become more rooted in God. Okay? You're, you're um, a plant. When, when it's dry, right? the their roots dig deeper because they're searching for water. And as a result, they're more firmly implanted. They actually get more entrenched. They don't get weaker. They're, they're more entrenched in the ground because the roots are established. And that's what happens if we stick through it with endurance. Our character, our our rootedness in God becomes even stronger. That's character. Now character then produces hope. Uh, And that's elpis in Greek, which is translated as expectation of good. If you keep connected to God through suffering instead of disengaging, you'll start to see more clearly God for who he is, a clearer picture of who God is. You'll learn more about his character. And remember what we said about God and love? God is love, right? That you will see the loving character of God in that strange alien sense of agape. You'll appreciate how his ways are loving even in the midst of your suffering. And you'll discover then that the subtleties of God's love. You'll see how, like, wine has different flavors. Sometimes the flavors that you think make a good wine are flavors you would not expect. Um, I've watched a documentary uh, about guys trying to become master sommeliers, you know, um, and this is like the hardest test in the world, right? And the way these guys describe, the wine is, is like amazing. It's just different. Like one guy says, I, I taste this wine. It, it's, it's so fresh. It's like fresh rubber hose. <laughs> okay. All right, that's different. But what he's trying to do is saying, look, I see these accents in the quality of the wine. It's not what you expect, but it brings out the flavor. And when we, when we stick with it, with suffering, we see the subtleties of, of God's character. We see how the suffering accents God's love. And when we realize the fullness of who God is, the, the, we have hope. Um, to the untrained palate, God can seem cruel when he doesn't give us the desires of his heart. You know, why did you do that, God? Why did you cut me off? Why did you not give me the answers to my prayer? But if we stick on, we, we stick to it, we realize that it's actually the most loving thing for God to do at that point in time for us. Okay? So the way out of suffering may not come quickly. I'm not promising you a quick fix by any measure. And it may never come in the way that you expect. But if you, st- if, if you have hope, if you have expectation of, of, good, of good, you'll deepen your understanding of God's love, of the goodness of God. Okay? The more you know who God is and his character, the more you could expect good. And that's hope. And that's why in, in verse 5, um, Paul says that uh, hope does not disappoint, because God is love. He never fails. His loving nature never fails. He he never changes. He will always act out of love. But you need to know that. You need to go through that experience of suffering to understand that. Now, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but if you look at this progression in Romans 5, do you notice something? Do you notice a parallel with another? passage on love, 1 Corinthians 13, at the very end, okay, Um, okay. faith, hope, and love, okay, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, at the very end of this discourse on love, it says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, and we see that progression, right, we see faith helps you see beyond your circumstances, and the moment I'm suffering I'm flailing but faith helps you look beyond that and Hebrews tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see that's faith that leads to hope hope comes from knowing that God is good even though you can't see how good God is good in the moment and if we have that hope if we're rooted in our character in that hope that leads to love Love is who God is. His love becomes evident if we continue to be engaged with Him. Um, I, I saw Romans 5 in action with a dear friend of mine. I'll call her Susan to protect her identity. Uh, but Susan, Susan used, to be, used to have a, a great life, uh, she, a very comfortable lifestyle. She was married. Uh, she had two kids. Um, just, just a great life. And then she found out that her husband cheated on her. Her husband divorced her, married the mistress. Though that didn't last very long, he's on his third marriage, as far as I understand. Um, And Susan was devastated. She just couldn't understand how her world was flipped upside down now. She all of a sudden became a single parent to two young daughters. and. She would get anxiety attacks. You know, she, there was one time when the panic attacks came while she was sitting at her workstation at work, and the paramedics had to come, whisk her off to the ER. Now, Susan grew up Catholic, uh, and with her husband, she, went, she was Episcopalian. They went to an Episcopalian church for, you know, on and off. Um, so she had a Christian background, but she wasn't very close to God. I think she'll, she'll admit that later. But what, what this traumatic event did for her was that it didn't drive her away from God. It, it drove her back into church. For whatever reason, it drove her back into church. She, she started attending church more regularly, and her hunger for God grew. She became more thirsty for God's word, for following his ways, and all the while, the suffering did not stop. I mean, the divorce happened, but there were nasty custody battles. Those of you who have gone through a divorce with young kids I think might appreciate how that can happen. Her ex-husband used her daughters as a pawn to get his way and just to twist, you know, stick the knife in her side and twist the dagger. Uh, And these struggles, instead of driving her away from God, drove her to her knees. It drove her closer to God. She prayed. I prayed with her. Other friends prayed with her. She stuck to it. And what she saw through this experience was the hand of God protecting her and her family and reshaping her heart. Her priorities changed. The comfortable love at lifestyle that she loved so much, that she, she grieved so much over losing, didn't become as important anymore. She didn't become richer. In fact, she became poorer. But she had a lot more joy. Um, She learned the beauty of a simple life. She learned how to forgive. Many of those prayers were about learning to forgive her ex-husband and teaching her daughters how to forgive him as well. And she was just grateful that she had God. God was there all along, right in front of her. But now she had God. And if you ask her, do you regret Do you regret this? Do you regret going through a divorce? Divorce? I think she would say no. Not that she liked the pain any one bit. Not that she would want to go through that again. But the pain drew her closer to God. It drew her closer to the most important thing in the entire universe. And that is God in his loving nature. That's Romans 5 in action. Okay. She stuck through it. She responded to the suffering in a way that was faith-based. That produced character in her. And that produced hope. And at the end, there's love. She is now bathed in love. Now, you might hear Susan's story. And you may say, "Okay, that's great for her. But I don't really feel like engaging with you, God. Right now, something's different about our situation. Or maybe you're just angry at God. Um, maybe you think He's not a fair God. You, like, you know, what kind of God are you that you would let someone like Susan go through that kind of pain? Or why would you let suffering happen to me? What have I done to deserve this? If you're a loving God, how can you let this happen? These are common questions that we have when we face suffering. and, and Friends, I don't have simple answers for you, you know, the answers are very complex. Some of it is philosophical, some of it is theological. I don't have simple answers for you, but what I can tell you is that whatever your complaint is against God, it can't be that he doesn't care about you. It can't be that he doesn't know what you're going through, because he does. We have a God that is intimately familiar with suffering. You know, open up the Bible, or open your phone and, you know, randomly pick a passage, anyone. one. And chances are pretty good that whatever you've opened your your app to or, you know, put your finger on in the Bible has something to do with suffering. Because the theme of suffering is just woven throughout the entire Bible. And I want you to consider one passage in particular and it is Isaiah 53. It's in your bulletins. We're not going to go through the whole passage, but um, it's in your bulletins if you want to read it. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus. Now, some of the prophecies in the Bible talk about the majesty of the coming Messiah, how he's going to establish a great kingdom, and, and you know, the glory of God. Not this one. Isaiah 53 says this about Jesus. It says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. It said that he is despised and rejected by men. It says he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, that he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He is smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed." You see, suffering was an integral part of Jesus' ministry. You can't divorce suffering from what Jesus did. You can't talk about the work of Christ without talking about suffering. Because Jesus suffered to eliminate suffering once and for all. That's why he came, right? Jesus is called the suffering servant. And why did Jesus suffer? Because overcoming evil, requires suffering. It takes suffering to win over suffering. Jesus sacrificed himself to destroy evil without having to destroy us. He took the hit. Okay. Jesus suffered injustice to overcome injustice. Jesus suffered death that we might be healed. Jesus suffered the consequences of sin to free us from sin. So if you look at what Jesus did at the cross, you, you can't say that God doesn't care. You can't say that God doesn't know what you're going through, that he doesn't understand suffering because he's never gone through it. Oh, yes, he has. Absolutely, he has. In, to an infinite degree, to a degree that we would never experience. He, you know, care, God cares so much about your suffering that he sacrificed his own son to free you from suffering once and for all. So please don't let your disappointment with God make you turn away from him. You can be angry. You can struggle. That's fine. God can take that. But don't turn away because you think God doesn't care. In the progression from suffering all the way to love in Romans 5, I think the toughest part is endurance. Um, suffering's a given. We know that. Okay? So that first part in that progression, we got that covered. It's everywhere. But it's how you deal with it. And if you approach it with an attitude of, endu- of, of endurance, character and hope will follow. It's, it's a pretty natural progression. But if you don't persevere through it, if your first response is not endurance, then what you're going to do is head down a road of despair and destruction. You don't want to go there. Okay? So I think the key then is to develop endurance. Uh, and that's about faith, like a muscle. Faith is like a muscle. You need to develop your muscles to get strength. You need to work at it. So what I want to do in closing is, is, is to share a couple of steps uh, for developing faith. And I want to draw from one of the Psalms um, as a framework for this. It's Psalm 42. Uh, there's oh, there we go. There's, there's a lot of text here. We're not gonna read the whole thing, but Psalm 42 gives us a couple of practical steps for developing that faith muscle, that endurance. And what the first thing to do is to be authentic and transparent towards God. To, to go to God with however you feel. And, and that's because intimacy increases when we share our true feelings. You know, when we're naked before God and bearing our souls and telling, telling Him our raw feelings, our real selves, that, that creates intimacy with God. And it can be offensive, it can be ugly, it can be raw, it, it can be just visceral, but it's authentic. And that's the key, to be authentic towards God, right? Express your deepest thoughts to him. Tell him you're, an- you're angry if that's what you feel. The psalmist did it. Look at what this, this psalm does. The psalmist is going through some kind of trouble. We're not sure exactly what, but he says to God, why have you forgotten me? Okay? Very similar to what Jesus did when he was praying. Why have you, for- why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Okay? So be honest. That's the first step, I think, to engaging. The second thing is to remember the goodness of God. Okay. Recall the times when God was faithful to you. Reach back into the recesses of your memory, the times when he came through, when, when you saw that God was real in your life and others. Leverage that. Okay. Uh, here, the psalmist is recalling God's faithfulness to the Israelites. Um, probably in battle and, and other historical events, there's a reference to the, to the, the Jordan, the crossing of the Jordan. But th- that's what the psalmist is doing. He's looking for evidence of God's goodness and reaching back to it. Okay? That helps him stick through it. The third thing is to identify blockages to faith. Okay? The psalmist asks himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Okay. What, is, what is he doing? He's identifying things that are blocking his faith. Okay. And we have to ask ourselves that. What is stunting my faith? What is it that's making me wary about trusting God more? Is it lies that I believe about myself? Is it, is it pain? You know, what is it that's, that's causing me to not grow deeper in appreciation for God's love? And suffering is a great time uh, for navel-gazing, for introspection. It, it really forces you because your world is being torn apart, right? It's a great time to look inward and figure out what is making me tick? And how, are, how is my makeup preventing me from increasing in faith? And the last thing, uh, the last tip is to minister to yourself. Okay? If you notice the psalmist talking, you know who is he talking to? Himself. Right? He, says, he says to himself, Put your hope in God. Okay? I will yet praise him. He says that at the end. Put your hope in God. Praise him. He, he's giving himself a pep talk, basically. Okay? And, and we need to do that to ourselves. We need to minister to our souls. And say, soul, brush yourself off. Okay? Remember the goodness of God. Remember the evidence of God's goodness. Stick through it. Slap yourself silly a little bit, maybe. Minister to yourself. Okay? Suffering is not—you it, overcome suffering not just by, like waiting, waiting in the waters, and eventually you just get pulled out. And it magically happens. It doesn't quite work that way. It takes work and discipline and ministry. Of course, ministry from others is great too, but there's also an internal process, right? So be authentic. Remember the goodness of God. Identify blockages to faith, and minister to yourself. And what I want to do in the last remaining moments of this service um, is to walk you through that. Let's do this together. If I could have the worship team uh, come up again. But I want to walk through each of these steps. Maybe one or more of these steps will help you. Maybe you are in a time of suffering right now. You know, you're going through a, a difficult circumstance in your life and you're looking for answers or maybe life is fine right now but if that's the case you're not off the hook either because in those good times you should prepare for the suffering that will come it's not it's not whether it will come it will come so take this opportunity now to train up either way we're going to look through each of the we're going to go through each of these steps and i'm just going to lead us in the time of prayer and you can do it however you like. You can, do, you can do it standing, sitting. You can find a corner and kneel. You can close your eyes, however you're comfortable. Right? But we're going to take about one minute for each of these points, of these steps, and just walk through this. For those of you who are angry at God and feeling distant from him, I want you to share your, your thoughts with him in prayer. All right? Just tell them right now. How do you feel? What are you feeling? Just go ahead. You have permission to share your heart with God right now. I just bless you in Jesus' name, knowing that God has heard you and He still loves you. Whatever you shared with Him, He he never stopped loving you and He will never stop loving you. Maybe you are engaged with God, but you're doubting His goodness. And if that's you, I want you to recall the times when God showed up in your life when you saw, yeah, that's you, God. Think back. I just pray in Jesus' name that those memories would be released right now. Holy Spirit, come. bless you with the truth that the God who was is the God who is and will be he was faithful then he is faithful now he will continue to be faithful as you've seen his goodness before he is still good right now if what you're struggling with is is faith you sense blockages I want you to take a moment now To think, to ask God, engage in a conversation. Ask the Holy Spirit, what is robbing me of my peace? What's robbing me of my joy? Are there any lies I'm buying into? Pray that to Him. blessing to you is that your your joy the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord is your birthright it belongs to you it's your default position it should be your default position and whatever is blocking you from that does not belong so in Jesus name let those chains fall be free in the name of Jesus and finally maybe what maybe you're the you're you're in need of a time of self-ministry that you need to just coax your soul into alignment with the truth and if that's you take this take some time to talk to yourself you're not crazy it's fine go ahead you have permission to minister to yourself and speak to your soul Let's just say all together, my hope is in God, I will yet praise Him. Let's do it again, my hope is in God, I will yet praise Him. My hope is in God, I will yet praise Him. Praise Praise you Jesus, that you suffered for our sake, that you care. And your divine love is beyond compare. Pray this in Jesus' name.